0: Take your copy of God's Word and open it with me now to the Gospel of John, and we are finally going to finish that sixth chapter, John chapter 6, verses 60 through 71. While you're turning there, it was last October, more than 40,000 runners met in London, England, for the London Marathon. This is a very big race. To win it is a very big accomplishment every year. Some of the best runners in the world gather there and participate in this race. Now, there was one guy in particular whose name is Richard Wright. He knew he didn't have any chance of winning that race, and I mean none whatsoever. But He really wanted to be able to brag to his friends and say that for at least one moment he was in the lead at the London Marathon, and so at the very beginning of the race when they fired the pistol, when most professional runners would be pacing themselves, Mr. Wright Sprinted forward, running as fast as possible, and for 10 glorious seconds, there was nobody in front of him. There was no one beside him. And 10 seconds into that race, he realized that he was in the lead. And he raised his arms and began to celebrate. And of course, just like that, all of the other runners quickly passed him by and left him far behind. But here he is after the race celebrating his great accomplishment. You know, there are a lot of people like Richard Wright in the Christian life. They begin the race. They start to follow Christ, and they start so strong. And in the beginning, it looks like they are winning. But then, before long, something happens. They fall out. They disappear. No one knows why. I can't think of anything that breaks my heart more as a pastor than seeing someone who began... In the Christian life, someone who started the race, but then dropped out and did not finish. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be known personally as someone who started strong. I want to be known as someone who finished well. It's interesting, John chapter 6 starts off with one of the greatest miracles Jesus performed. That is followed by one of the greatest teachings Jesus ever delivered. And so when we get to the end of this chapter, we just assume there's going to be this great, big, massive altar call and thousands of people are going to come to Jesus, right? Wrong. Not only is that not what happened, that's the exact Opposite of what happened. It is in the beginning of John chapter 6 that thousands and thousands of people were following him. But by the time we get to the end of the chapter, most of them have turned away. And only a faithful few remain. So this morning, as we study these last few verses of John chapter 6, there are three things I want to point out in the text that I believe we need to learn and remember if we want to be faithful to the finish. First of all, we need to see and understand the offensiveness of the gospel. The offensiveness of the gospel. Look at verse 60. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? Now notice John refers to his disciples. Uh, That word disciple literally means follower. Sometimes in the Gospels, the word disciple does not refer to someone who is an actual born-again follower of Christ. Sometimes that word disciple means someone who's following Jesus, but they're following Jesus because they're really following the crowd. Don't assume that these disciples are actually saved. People. These disciples heard Jesus speak and they said, This is a hard saying. Now, what hard saying are they referring to? Maybe what Jesus said in the verses before, what we studied last week how you must eat my flesh and drink my blood to have eternal life, maybe that was it. Maybe the hard saying refers to the entire passage and the entire teaching in John chapter six because there are a lot of hard things in this passage. But they ask that question, who can understand it? It literally, in the Greek, says who can hear it? Many translations say who can accept it. Because the issue here is not that they were unable to understand. The issue is that they were unwilling to believe. The problem, the real problem, was not the hardness of the sermon. The problem was the hardness of their hearts. Look at verse 61. When Jesus knew in himself. Now remember that statement. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this. He said to them, does this offend you? Does this offend you? That Greek word is scandalon. Guess what we get from that? The word scandal. What Jesus said to them was scandalous. It was offensive. I can personally count, at least a dozen things that Jesus said in this passage that would have been scandalous, that would have been offensive to them. For example, he claimed to have come down from heaven. He referred to himself as the I Am. He said the only work that God will accept is that you believe in him. He claimed to be greater than Moses. He said that one day he will raise the dead. He said that whoever truly listens to God will come to me. These are just some of the offensive things that Jesus said in just this one Teaching, just this one conversation. So let's just widen that a little bit and think about some of the offensive things that Jesus said, not just in John chapter 6, but in all of the Gospels. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Boy, that's offensive. He said that it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. Wow, that is offensive. He said, you're better off cutting off your right hand or plucking out your right eye rather than your entire body going to hell. Oh, that's offensive. Jesus said in Matthew's gospel that in the beginning God created us male and female, in other words, two genders. I don't know if that was offensive in the first century, but that is certainly offensive to many people in the 21st century, isn't it? Jesus said that. He defined marriage as a union between a man and a woman. He called sex outside of that adultery, fornication. He said that he came to set a man against his father and a woman against her mother. He said, whoever saves his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. He called the businessmen in the temple a den of thieves. He called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. He told the religious leaders that they were children of the devil. He said that in order to enter heaven, you must be born again. Do you realize... All of those statements at some point have been considered deeply offensive. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, if you look at all of the teachings of Jesus and if you consider all of the claims that he made and all of the things that he said, there is a 100% chance that you will be offended at some point. I promise you, no matter who you are, where you're from, what your politics, what your culture At some point, you're going to come upon something that Jesus said that in your flesh you do not like. And when that happens, in that moment, you can decide to do one of two things. You can either surrender your opinions and adjust your thinking, or you can reject Christ completely. There are no other options. Now here's the big question. Here's the question maybe some people are asking right here this morning, why in the world would I do that? When I read some offensive thing that Jesus said, if I'm offended by that, why should I believe Jesus anyway? Why should I change my thinking in order to line up with what Jesus says? Why should I do that? Well, he tells us in the very next verse. Look at verse 62. What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? Jesus is pointing to his ascension, which will take place after he died and rose again. Why does he mention the ascension at this point? Because a few verses earlier, he just referred to his death. And if Jesus ascends back to heaven, that means that Jesus will have risen from the dead, and if Jesus died and rose again, that means he is everything that he claimed to be, if Jesus died and rose again, that means that all of his claims are true Even if they are offensive to this world, even when they are unpopular, if Jesus died and rose again, you really don't have the option of picking and choosing which of his sayings and which of his teachings you will accept because if Jesus died and rose again, that means Jesus is Lord and his word is the last word on every subject. Now, that's why Jesus can say what he says in verse 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Notice, the flesh profits nothing. In other words, Jesus says to them, if all I'm giving you are truths that you could figure out on your own, If all I'm giving you are conclusions that you could reach by yourself using your own logic and using your own reason, what good would that be? That's not what you need. It's like Jesus is saying, hey, you've already got plenty of schools to choose from. You've got plenty of teachers to choose from. You've got plenty of philosophers to choose from. You don't need another one. What you need is a word from God. What you need are words that impart life to those who hear and believe, and that's exactly what we have in Jesus. Words that reach the Spirit and words that impart life. Look at verse 64. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore... I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. Now notice, Jesus knew from the beginning, out of thousands of people, Jesus knew to a person who was for real, who was not, who believed, who did not. Jesus always knows. You never fool Jesus. In verse 65, he reiterates what he said earlier in verse 44, The only reason why a person can believe, the only reason why a person is capable of believing is because God turned on the lights, so to speak, because by ourselves we are spiritually blind, but we never know when God is going to turn on the lights. Man never knows when he's going to have that opportunity, but when God does it, he has a responsibility to come, repent, and believe. Unfortunately, that's not what happened. In John chapter 6, look at verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. And notice it doesn't say a few of his disciples. It doesn't say some of his disciples. Many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. This may be one of the saddest verses in all of the Bible. They know Jesus performed miracles. They know that he healed the sick. They know that he fed the hungry. They know that he cared for people, and yet they are walking away anyway. And remember, these are the same people who, in the beginning of the chapter, wanted to make Jesus king These are the same people who earlier in the chapter followed him all the way to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, a lot of people would call that dedication. But here at the end of the chapter, they said, that's it. No more. That is as far as we are willing to go with Jesus. So let me ask you a question. Is there anything that God could say? Is there anything that God could do? Is there anything that God could even allow in your life that would cause you to say, that's it, no more, I'm done? Because if the answer is yes, if there is anything at all, you know what? It's just a matter of time. At that point, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. And here's the thing. These folks in John chapter 6, they did not have to leave Jesus. You know what they could have done? They could have kept listening. They could have waited. They could have kept following. They could have brought their questions to Jesus. They didn't come to Jesus with their questions. Remember, it says Jesus knew in himself that they were offended You could do, by the way, if you're like them, what they did not do, and that is bring your doubts to Jesus. They could have said, oh, Jesus, we've seen the miracles you perform. We've heard the way you teach, and we know there is no one like you, but we are really struggling with this teaching or that teaching. And don't you just know Jesus would have met them there and gently led them with grace. But that's not what happened. They left Jesus because they were offended by Jesus. Yes, the gospel is offensive. Many of the people heard the words of Jesus in John chapter 6, and they were offended, and they left. The question is, what about you? If you're going to be faithful to the finish, you must come to grips with the fact that the gospel is offensive. We see the offensiveness of the gospel, but then we also see in this passage the blessedness of following Christ. This is one of the most tragic passages in the Bible, but you know what? It's also one of the most encouraging passages in the Bible as well. Look at verse 67. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? You know, sometimes we have this idea that faithful preaching will always grow a church. Do you realize that sometimes faithful preaching will actually shrink a church? Jesus has been teaching and preaching faithfully, but now the crowd has shrunk. There are only a few left. And can you imagine the pain that Jesus must have felt? These sound like the words of a broken-hearted man. I can imagine Jesus looking at the disciples, each one of them in the eye, And asking that question, Peter, how about you? John? Andrew? The question Jesus asked is actually worded in such a way in the Greek that it assumes a negative response. In other words, it's like Jesus was saying, Matthew, you don't plan on staying with me, do you? You see, Jesus does not desire any unwilling followers, and he's practically inviting them to leave. But here's their answer. Look at verse 68. But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We know that many times in the Gospels, Peter opened his mouth wide and put his foot inside of it, right? But let's give him a little bit of credit this time. This time, Peter stepped up to the plate and hit a home run. And you can start with the fact that he called Jesus Lord. Once you've established the fact that Jesus is Lord, everything else falls into place. But Peter then asked that question, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter, in this moment, is choosing to trust Christ more than his human understanding. He's saying, Jesus, there are so many things that I don't get. There's so many things I don't understand, but I'm staying with you. We're staying with you because there is no one who can instruct us the way you do. There's no one who can guide us or encourage us. There's no one else who speaks the kind of words which, if you hear them, lead to eternal life. And Peter understood something that we had better understand as well. There's nowhere else to go because no one offers what Jesus is offering. I love what Ray Stedman said about this years ago. It's a long quote, but it's worth it. Talking about what we have in Christ and where else would we go to find these things. Ray Stedman said this, in Christ Christ we have a love that cannot be fathomed, a life that can never die, a righteousness that can never be tarnished, a peace that can never be understood, a rest that can never be disturbed, a joy that can never be diminished, a hope that can never be disappointed, A glory that can never be clouded. A light that can never be darkened. A happiness that can never be interrupted. A strength that can never be enfeebled. A purity that can never be defiled. A beauty that can never be marred. A wisdom that can never be baffled. And resources that can never be exhausted. Christian brother, Christian sister, I ask you this question where else will we go to find all of that? Where else? Who else can satisfy the deepest longings of the heart? Who else can answer the greatest questions of the heart? Where else shall we go? Shall we go to worldly pleasures seeking these things? Shall we go to human achievements seeking these things? Is there some school to which we would go? Is there some teacher, some philosopher? Is there anything, any place, anywhere? Where shall we go? Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Peter continues in verse 69. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, Jesus is the Christ, meaning the anointed one, the Messiah, the one who fulfilled all of the prophecies and all of the scriptures, the one who fulfilled all of the promises of God. He said, you are the Son. Of the living God. You are everlasting. You are eternal. You are creator. And Peter understood that what he was saying about Jesus, he could only say about Jesus, that none of this could be said about anyone else. And I want you to notice in this verse the order in this statement. He said, We have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's very easy to miss this particular detail, but notice this. What began as faith, we have come to believe, led to certainty and know. Many times we try to reverse this order. We want to know something, and then when we know it, we believe it. But then Peter said, no, first we believe, and now we know. You see what's happening here? God rewards faith with assurance. God rewards faith with assurance. And it's like Peter saying, yes, Jesus, we've had our doubts. And we know Peter's not finished doubting, is he? But he says, yes, Jesus, we've had our doubts over and over again, but we have believed and now we know that you've proven yourself to us over and over again, and therefore you are everything you say you are. And those other people, Jesus, they may abandon you, but we are sticking with you. And I tell you, Jesus would rather have 11 committed disciples than 20,000 casual fans any day of the week. If we're going to be part of that faithful few, if we're going to be faithful to the finish, yes, we must remember the offensiveness of the gospel. The gospel is going to be offensive to this world around us. The words of Christ are going to be offensive to the world around us. But we should also remember the blessedness of following Christ. There is no one else like Him To whom else would we go? But then one more thing we see in these last couple of verses, and that is the pointlessness of pretending. The pointlessness of pretending. Look at verse 70. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. You know what Jesus is doing here? He's correcting one word in Peter's declaration. Peter made this amazing declaration, and most of it was true. His heart was in the right place, but there was one word in Peter's declaration that was off. There was one little thing that needed to be corrected. Peter said, We believe and we know, Peter is referring to the 12. The 12 apparently was Jesus' nickname for those 12 special disciples who walked with him and served him. Peter said, we believe and we know, but Peter was not speaking for Judas. Judas. Oh, the disciples trusted Judas. They trusted him so much they made him the treasurer. You know you don't put somebody in charge of your money unless you trust them, right? They trusted him and made him the treasurer. Jesus called Judas a devil. Peter was not speaking for Judas Iscariot. That's why Jesus corrects him. But I want you to notice in verse 70, Jesus chose The 12, yes, Jesus chose Judas. He chose him to walk alongside of him and the other disciples. He did not choose for Judas to betray him. No, Judas chose that all by himself. But yes, Jesus chose Judas, even Judas, as part of the 12. And of course, the big question is, Why would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus choose Judas knowing the whole time that he was going to betray him? Well, I can give you a number of reasons. Jesus chose Judas to fulfill prophecy because it was prophesied that the Messiah would be betrayed by a friend. He chose Judas in order to experience all of life's troubles including betrayal. He chose Judas in order to show us what it really looks like to love your enemy. He chose Judas to show us Just how awful sin is. He chose Judas in order to be obedient to the Father. Luke chapter 6 says Jesus prayed all night long before choosing the 12 disciples. Jesus chose Judas so that even he would testify on his behalf. You remember what Judas said after he betrayed Jesus? I have betrayed innocent blood. He chose Judas so that we would not lose heart when we notice that there are hypocrites among God's people so that we wouldn't get too discouraged when we find out that there are tares among the wheat. Jesus chose Judas so that we would keep our guard up and remember that even a religious leader can be an instrument of the devil. Jesus chose Judas to prove that he is so sovereign he can even use the free actions of evil people in order to accomplish his divine purposes. Perhaps most of all, Jesus chose Judas Iscariot as one of the twelve in order to be a warning to us so that none of us would think that we are saved just because we are surrounded by believers. Because it is possible to be surrounded by believers and be as lost as can be. Jesus chose Judas in order to show us how pointless it is to pretend to be something you're not because pretenders never finish well. When I think about this message and this theme, and when I think about being faithful to the finish, I am reminded of a man from India in the 19th century, a man named Naksang. Naksang was part of a people group, a tribe called the Garo people group, G-A-R-O, and Naksang was the first person from the Garo tribe who became a follower of Jesus Christ after British missionaries arrived there and started preaching the gospel to them in their language. Well, Naksang became a Christian, and not long afterwards, others did as well, and soon his whole family was saved. Sometime thereafter, the leader of that tribe began to see these Christians as a threat. And so the tribal leader had Noxang and his family arrested. He dragged them to the center of the town, and in front of all of the people, he ordered him to renounce his faith in Jesus. When Noxang refused to renounce his faith in Christ, the Tribal leader had his archers point their arrows at him and his wife and his children. Noxang responded to that by saying these words I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back as the story goes it was in that moment the arrows were released and that entire family was ushered into eternity but you know what else happened the people of that garo tribe were so touched by that man's faith many others followed christ as well and not only that they took his last words, and turned them into a hymn. You know, if, don't do this now. But if you were to look up in the hymnal that song we sang earlier, "I Have Decided to Follow Jesus," and you look at the fine print at the bottom where it tells you the the author and this and that. You know what it says? Written by Garo Christians, Indian folk song. Don't believe me? Look it up after the service. Most of the time when we write hymns, they're written in English. They get translated into other languages. People sing them all over the world. You can go all over the world and hear people singing How Great Thou Art or Holy, Holy, Holy. But did you know that this hymn, this one was written in India and then it came over here and was translated into English and Spanish and many other languages as well. And we're still singing those words today. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus no turning back no turning back those were the last words of a man who decided he was going to be faithful to the finish no matter what it cost and so i close by just asking you that question how about you Will that be your decision today as well? Would you join me as we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we have seen so many people in life, and we've read about so many in your word who started strong, but they didn't finish well. So many times we've seen John 6 lived out in front of us. The masses who follow Jesus when it's popular, who follow Jesus when they're getting or hearing what they want, but then they're offended. They walk away. God, we want it to be said of us that we not only started out strong, but that we finished well. We want it to be said of us that we were faithful to you, faithful to the gospel, to the very end, faithful to the finish. Father, I pray for those who perhaps are here this morning who are listening to my voice, whether in this room or for some online, who perhaps need to take that very first step of faith, Because we cannot enter, we cannot finish the race well if we have not first entered the race. And for some, that might mean taking that very first step of faith and saying, I will follow Jesus. No matter what. Even when I'm offended. Even when I read things in God's word that in my flesh I don't like. I will follow Jesus. God, maybe there's some who need to take that step for the very first time and follow Jesus as Savior and Lord of their lives. Would you speak to their hearts as only you can do right now? That this would be that moment of surrender in which they turn away from their sin and turn in repentance and in faith to Christ. Help all of us, oh God, to take what we have read to take this to heart, to apply it to our lives, that we would, in fact, finish well. And we'll give you the thanks in Jesus' name. As God's people are still praying for just a moment with heads bowed and eyes closed, anybody here that would say, I need to enter the race, so to speak. I need to take that first step of faith in following Jesus as Savior and as Lord. Never done that, but I understand that I need to. The Bible uh, says that we're separated from God by our sin. And there's nothing we can do on our own to save ourselves. No amount of obedience, no amount of, of, of almsgiving, no amount of service, nothing we can do to, to reach heaven on our own. But for that reason, Jesus came down to us. He came from heaven to earth And he lived the life we should have lived. And then he died the death we should have died. He took our place. He did that for us. And he offers that to us now as a gift that can either be accepted or rejected. And the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And maybe for some of you that's exactly the step that you need to take There are three groups of people in this scripture we read about today. Those who followed Jesus but would not stay. Those who followed Jesus and would not leave. And then there was the one who was never truly following Jesus to begin with. He was just pretending. Don't be that guy. Don't be that person. It's foolish to pretend. It's pointless. Maybe this morning you need to sincerely, for the first time, from the bottom of your heart, say, Yes, I will follow Jesus. I still have my questions but I'm bringing them to Jesus, and I'm going to follow him. Anybody today that would say, that's me, that's where I am, that's the step that I need to take right now, this very moment, and by God's grace, that's exactly what I want to do. Anybody that would say, Pastor, yes, that's me, pray for me, so that I can take the, make sure you raise your hand so I can see it really clearly. Anybody that's here that would say, yes, Pastor, that's me.